Uh, and it's a great, great book. It's, our series is called Inside Out. And if, if, it's not just about the movie Inside Out, but it's true that what's happening inside of us is ultimately what our life is going to be like rather than what's happening outside of us. We'd like to blame our boss and our family and, our, and the weather. How many people in Wellington like to blame the weather? But it's not the weather that's making you miserable. It's the way you're responding to life and it's what's going on inside of you. Sorry, that's the truth. Uh, and it's a great book. The book is called Who You Are When No One Is Looking. And probably the title is the most hard-hitting part of the book. The rest of the book is written by a great author. Bill Hybels, a great leader. Uh, and it's just, you'll find it so encouraging and inspiring as you read about the character of Christ and how it can have an impact in our life. I think when you finish the book, you should find a non-Christian friend to give it to because the, the very end of the book is probably the most moving description of the gospel message I've ever read. And Bill Hybels has, has got a, just a, such a heart for lost people uh, and is talking about the adoptive work of Christ. And so I'm excited about this series, which is Inside Out. And next, the next series is from the book as well. So if you buy the book, it's two series in one book. It's amazing. Yeah, and uh, the book, the next, the second half of the book, and our second series is called Love Like This, but that's getting ahead of us. This morning, we're looking at the, a character quality called Courage. And so we, we chose someone from within the congregation to share a testimony. We asked someone. And so we've got the amazing Jen uh, Gilbert is going to come and speak to us about, from her own journey about courage. So yeah, put your hands together and welcome Jen as she comes to share. Hi, I'm Jen and um, I don't love public speaking, but I'm giving it a go. Um, I have a son, Hunter, who is over there, and you might hear him um, crying out a little bit. That's fine. And also, I have, I'm married to Matt, and we have Ada. She's three, and they're in crèche at the moment. Um, so, Jono asked me a few weeks ago to talk about courage, so I was thinking about what to say. And what immediately came to mind for me when I think about courage is those um, big, brave, heroic acts that you might see in a movie like um, rescuing a baby from a burning building or um, pulling someone out of a car wreck. Those kind of events that you are putting your own life at risk for someone else. But in reality, um, that hardly ever happens. Um, I've never had that opportunity in my life. I don't know about you. Um, and it's not something you really need to worry about day to day. But um, I guess over the past couple of years, I have learned about a different kind of courage that might be more how you respond to um, personal situations in your life when you are feeling scared and it's how you respond when no one else is looking. It's just between you and God and um, no one else might know about what's going on. So I'll just tell you a little bit of my testimony and then a little bit about what I've learned about courage. Um, so yeah, just over three years ago now, our daughter Ada was born and she was born 10 weeks early. So that's quite a lot for a baby. That's a quarter early. <laughs> and anyway, um, she was she was fine. Um, we were really lucky. She is what they call a feeder and grower. And so there's nothing medically wrong with her. She just born too soon. And so she just had to be in hospital for a while to learn um, to feed and to grow and get bigger before you can take them home. And so, yeah, she was in hospital for quite a while. And then we brought her home and she never really learned to feed. Um, so it was been a couple of years of struggle. However, um, I'm happy to say that at the end of last year, she was discharged from all specialists and is 
She's still really small, but she's eating really well now. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that's Ada. Um, but the real issue for me around fear came probably a year or a year and a half after she was born. And um, Matt and I were thinking about having another baby. Um, we'd never wanted to be an only child family. And so the time was right. But um, uh, as we started to talk about it and it became more of a reality, I just got so engulfed with fear. Um, what had happened with Ada was a medical issue with me and it, it could happen again. Um, so I started to have um, like night terrors. I would dream in the night that I was pregnant and I'd lose my baby. And I would have this during the day as well. I might be like um, driving to work and I'd arrive at work and I'd realize I'd just been thinking the whole time about all the different ways that my baby might die, which is not a good headspace to be in. I was just engulfed with fear and um, this went on for several months. And I did, I went to see a GP and I got some counseling, which is a good idea to do if you are um, feeling that way. But ultimately it came down to me and how I was gonna respond to that fear. So I had to decide whether I was gonna let the fear win and just step back and say, no, one child is enough for us. And I do think that that is a legitimate decision for some mothers to make. Um, not saying that's the wrong decision, but for me, I knew that I would regret it um, if I let fear win like that. So I had to decide to walk into the um, unknown because we didn't know what the outcome would be if I was pregnant again. There was a lot of um, risk. Um, so I had to decide to walk, whether to walk into that fear or whether to step back. And um, at that time I saw a quote which um, solidified everything for me. It said, everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. And I just knew that that was me. I think that's Hunter. <laughs> and um, yeah, that I just, I couldn't let fear win. Um, so the first thing I guess that I learned about courage at this time is that it's saying yes to God when you want to say no. Everything within me wanted to say no, 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 no. But I knew that um, God had given us this vision for our family and that it was the right thing to do. So I said yes. Um, when I was pregnant with Hunter, it was it was really tough. There was a lot of um, ups and downs and I was in and out of hospital and um, the prognosis wasn't always good. Um, so I guess the other thing that I learned about courage is that, it, is that it just means taking one step at a time, walking forward. You don't have to be big and brave in one go, but you can just take a small step. So for me, my small step might have been um, if I was given some bad news, just saying, okay, I trust you, God. Like, that's, all I could, that's all I could think. I wasn't big and deep or anything. Or, um, yeah, just um, believing that whatever the outcome would be, that God would be with me. Um, or if I was letting my thoughts go to a bad place, just thinking, no, I'm not going to think that right now anymore. That was just my small steps. But sometimes even that was too hard. And so the, um, the final thing that I learned about courage through this was um, that other people can be brave for you. Um, so Colleen isn't here today, I don't think. But she is an um, awesome lady at our church who is very um, straightforward, no nonsense, <laughs> and full of faith. And I would come to church on a Sunday and say, oh, the doctor said, you know, like it's not looking great or whatever, and um, I'm not feeling too great this week. And she would say, no, Jen, we don't believe that. God has told us that um, he's um, promised that you're going to have a healthy baby, and we don't believe that nonsense that the doctors are saying. You know what Colleen's like. And it was really encouraging because I couldn't, I found it too hard to be faithful like that, but she was, she believed for me. And also um, E-group, people praying for me. 
they were the ones who were like pushing me forward throughout the um, yeah throughout my fears. So um, in the end, yes, we have Hunter, and um, <laughs> yeah. So when um, Ada was born, I um, I didn't see her for hours. I didn't hold her for days, and I couldn't feed her and I struggled to mother her in the hospital. I didn't really know what to do. Um, but I prayed for all of the opposite, which I got with Hunter. He was born at full term. He, um, I saw him be born and he was placed straight on my um, chest and he fed straight away. And now he's big, chunky, six month old. You will see him. So God was faithful to us and answered all our prayers. So um, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm done now. Awesome, awesome. I need to, yeah, thanks, Em. Nice. I don't know about you, that was, oh man, that's just, I, I love hearing testimonies, you know. I think you might think that you've got a story and, um, and you might not be quite sure uh, if, if it's worth much or, or if anyone wants to hear it or, you know, because when things happen to you, they happen to you step by step by step. And sometimes we forget to stop and, and look back at what we've been through and realize that God was with us the whole way. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, you, you've got a story, you've got a testimony, and I don't know what it is, I don't know, you know, what, what you've been through, but I just want to encourage you to, to think about the times that God's been with you, to think about those times for you, and, and to maybe share that with someone else. Is that all right? Very cool. Hey, why don't we put our hands together one more time for Jen? Very cool. Thank you, band. You guys can sit down. Awesome. Oh, man. Is anyone feeling a little bit teary? Okay, good. It's not just me. I was like, whoa. How are you gonna make it through this, Jono? It's all right. I'll just um, I'll just drip snot. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, so as George said, um, my name is Jono Brown, and it's it's my pleasure and privilege to to start today our series on on Inside Out. And and like George said, we've got the book there for you if you if you'd like to grab it called Who You Are When No One's Looking by Bill Hybels. And really, the the, the idea of the book. Um, and, and what we really want to do for the next four weeks in, in e-groups and, and on Sunday is, is look at this idea, does it matter who we are? Right? Does our character matter? Does it matter who you are, not just when you're on a, on a platform and you're holding a microphone and you can say amazing, convincing things, but, but does it matter when you're at home on your own thinking about life, when, when things go wrong and when you're despairing? The, the best way that, um, that, that I think we can describe this, this issue of character is a story that Bill Hybels tells in the very start of his book. He talks about um, a, a trip that he took with his wife, right? His wife and, 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 um, and Bill were just needing a bit of a holiday. And so what they did is they borrowed a boat off a friend. And this is a big boat, right? Like I was in Taupo last week. We were on a boat. It was a pretty small boat. It's not the type of boat that you want to spend more than like a couple of hours on, right? They were on a, a big boat, like a boat that you can sleep in. I think it was a yacht. For those of you who don't know what yachts are, they're boats with sails, just in case you're, yeah, some people are like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, they got sails. they got motors, I think, too, so you don't get stranded. I don't know. I've never been on a yacht, except for once when I was very young. I went on my own one-man yacht and got stuck out in the middle of a harbor. So that was good fun, all right? Um, but, but he tells this story about uh, that they, they take this trip on a boat. And so they, they get on the boat, they load it all up, and they're heading out into open water. And so Bill's uh, an experienced yachty, I presume. That's the word for people that like to ride in yachts a lot, yachty. Um, and, and so he, he puts down the throttle. That's the thing that makes the boat go faster. Um, and, and they start kind of blatting. That's the term in, in boaty language for going fast. Um, 
they, they start going out into the open water. But, but Bill starts noticing that the boat's not really going any faster. It's hitting kind of maybe five or ten knots. Knots is how you measure speed on a boat. Um, <laughs> obviously, I'm very boaty. Um, so so, so they, start, they start heading out, and, and it's just it's not getting any faster. And he starts to feel like the engine's not doing great. So he goes down to the engine room, which confirms for me the size of this boat. I have an engine room on my dad's boat. The engine room is at the back of the boat. It's called the motor. It just kind of is attached. Um, but he goes down to the engine room, and he sees that, that the, the engine has started to overheat. Right, which for those of you who, who don't know, engines are not meant to overheat. There's a whole lot of cooling things going on that help them to not do that. If you've got a car and your car overheats, it can get quite broken, right? Which Em and I found out almost the hard way. We were like one step away from having no radiator fluid left, which is good that we still had some when we found it, right? So, so the, the engine overheats, and he's like, oh man, that's not great. So he kind of pulls back and, and goes along and finds a mechanic on some island. And they pop in, and the mechanic looks at the engine, and he's like, no, the, the engine's fine. And so I start going out again, and he feels it straight away. So he yells back. He must have been in kind of shouting distance. He yells to the mechanic. It still feels funny. And the mechanic says, oh, well, just go out a little bit further, and when you get a chance, drop anchor, jump overboard, and, and have a check to make sure that nothing is kind of tangled in the propeller, right? The propeller is the thing that goes underneath the boat, spins around in the water. It's like a boat's wheels. Fantastic, right? Um, and, and so, so Bill's going out. They, they drop anchor. Bill jumps over the side of the boat with his snorkel gear on, dives under, and sees the, the propeller. The prop is, is coated in two inches of barnacles, right? Two inches of barnacles just crusting it all up. So he jumps back out, grabs a butter knife, because I guess that's what you do, jumps into the, the, the water again, and slowly chips away at these barnacles. And, and slowly but surely, he manages to remove all of the barnacles from the prop. He gets back into the boat, pushes down the throttle, and it bursts to life, right? It, it's 100% fixed. And, and Bill, uh, Bill Hybels, he, he concludes the story with this quote. I remember thinking about what a terrible trip it would have been had we neglected to locate the root issue that was holding us back. It's important for boating success and for life success too if you're out on open water trying to make your way with a barnacle-covered prop, my bet is you won't get very far. It's not until you and I put in our snorkel gear, dive over the side of the boat, and take a good look around that we free ourselves up to sail. See, here's the thing. Who are you when no one is looking? Who are you when, when you're at home or you've got a moment to yourself and, and the mask drops? The, the, the person that you pretend to be goes away. The person that you, you, you are at work goes away and you're left with yourself. In life, do you find that maybe you're putting a whole lot of effort in and not getting anywhere? That you know that there's something God is calling you to do. There's no, you know that there's a person that God is calling you to be and you feel like you're trying. I don't think that any of us here this morning are lazy. You feel like you're putting in the effort, but you feel like your engine is overheating, like your throttle's fully down, like you're trying as hard as you can, but you're not making any progress, like it's just not quite working. Maybe somewhere in you, in something of your character, something has attached to you and it's slowing you down. Something is taking the, the efforts that you're putting in and is diminishing the efficiency. See, here's the thing. Character isn't about effort. It's about the efficiency of your effort. You can try as hard as you want, but, but if you've got some sort of flaw in your character, not necessarily through any fault of your own, but something is holding you back, then you'll find that you're never going to get to be the person that you know God's calling you to be. Those dreams that you have that God has given you will only ever remain dreams, and you'll be frustrated like Bill in this book, trying to get out into open water, but overheating in the shallows. 
See, what we want to do in this series is, is we want to look at what can we do to make sure that the efficiency of our efforts works out. See, see, character can't be developed through good resolutions and checklists. It usually requires a lot of hard work, right? A fair amount of pain of, and, and, and potentially years of faithfulness before any of these virtues we're going to talk about really sit in. But here's the thing. We, we could decide, oh man, changing who I am, building my character is going to take time. It's going to take effort. Why bother? Right? If it's really going to be that hard and take that long and require that much of me, why don't I just sit back and just do nothing, right? That, that would be so much easier. But the problem is, is, is that we can do that, and in five years' time, we'll be in the same place with the same problems and the same frustrations as we have right now. See, the hardest thing about being you, the hardest thing about being me, is you can't escape you. Wherever you go, there you are right? Every problem that you're in, you're in that problem. Every situation you're in, there you are right with you. You, you. you can't leave yourself at the door. So you might as well work on who you are. We might as well work on our character because we go everywhere we go and we don't want to look back in five years and think, man, I wish that I'd started to put the work in now that I've realized I have to put the work in today. See, here's the thing. Who are you when no one else is looking? Also, just before we start, it's, it's, it's critical to remember that, that no matter how amazing your character is, it will never be enough to earn God's approval, right? That this, this is not a series about how to get God to sit up and notice you, right? How to improve your heavenly rating. As, as important as character is, it's not a way to earn salvation, right? Salvation cannot be earned. God's love cannot be earned. He already loves you as much as He ever could, which is more than we could ever imagine. Right? This isn't about earning God's love or approval or salvation, but it's about being the people that God calls us to be. Today, I want to talk to you about our first virtue. Right? I want to talk to you about courage. Before I do, why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity. God, this moment as we gather together as your people, as, as your church, and as we lean into to asking this question, what does it mean to be people of courage? God, help us to look at ourselves in, in, a, in a new light, God. Help us to, to not hide from those things that you might be asking us to, to examine and who we are. Help us to be honest with you and with ourselves, God, not because you want to embarrass us, not because you want to shame us or guilt us, but because you love us so much that you meet us where we are, but you love us too much to leave us that way. God, that you want us to be different, God, that, that we, are, we are sanctified by your love. We are justified by your love, God. But we are being sanctified in you, Lord, that you change us. God, that you lead us into being the people that you called us to be. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Here's the thing, right? I don't know if you've noticed, but doing something great always requires courage. Right? If we look at the Bible, one of the most courageous things I can think of is the apostles, Right? Imagine for a second being the apostles, right? There the apostles are. They're all kind of doing their own thing. I watched a series on um, Netflix called, uh, I can't remember what it's called, a AD, Kingdom and Empire. Great series. Fully recommend it. You should watch it. But, um, but there the apostles are, and, and they're, they're just kind of doing their own thing. There Peter is, and he's, he's cleaning his nets, and this random guy comes up to him, and he's like, hey, my name's Jesus. I'm here to save the world. I think you should follow me. 
right? Which we read, and we read it in, in light of what happens, right? And we're like, yeah, of course, I would do that. But you've got to remember that when Peter, when the apostles are approached by Jesus, they don't know the end of the story. Right, This decision that they make is a massive chance for them. And I hadn't really realized in, in, in a full way until I'd watched this series that not only were the apostles just kind of quitting their job for a little bit, the apostles were leaving behind their family, right? people that relied on them. They were the, the heads of their households, and they were going out saying, look, you just have to trust me. This thing that I'm doing is more important than our comfort. See, this, this massive step that the apostles took to, to leave careers and family, the, the safe and the familiar, to be courageous and to take a chance, that's a big act of courage, right? I, I would suggest that that's a heroic act. Now, this morning, I'm, I'm not suggesting, in fact, I'm not asking you to, to quit your job and move off to a far-off land, right? Some of you are like, thank you. That's good, right? I appreciate that. But, but here's the thing. I want to ask you this question. What does it mean for our character if we aren't able to? Right? What, what, what does it mean? What can we not do in our lives because of fear? If we couldn't leave our job, does that become a fear that rules us? If, if we couldn't talk to someone about that hurt that we have inside, does that become a hurt that rules us? Do we have the courage as a people of God to be the people that we are called to be? See, here's the thing. It takes courage to change. It takes courage to, to see who we are and to see who God is calling us to be. See, what will this series be for us? Because to be honest, for the next four weeks, this could just be a series of nice ideas. Like some things to mull over. Hmm, maybe I will be more courageous. Hmm, maybe I will change a little bit. Or it could be a call to action, right, to change. See, here's why courage is the first value that we're going to talk about. We, we cannot, without courage, you cannot practice any other virtue consistently. See, we need courage because if we're not courageous, when I try and be disciplined and it gets hard, I won't push through the hard. If I'm not courageous, when I try and have a vision and it gets scary, I won't push through the scariness. If, if, we, if we're trying to have endurance and all of a sudden I just want to give up, if I don't have courage, I won't be able to stick at it. See, here's the thing. God wants to use you and I to change the world. Right. God wants to use you and I to change the world, and to do so, we have to be courageous. We have to be courageous to step out. We have to be courageous to develop discipline and vision and endurance, to pray the prayer, God, use me, and then to look for the opportunity. Right, this morning, to, to understand courage, I think we need to look at two things, and I only have two points. The first thing that we need to look at, and my first point, is heroism. See, like Jen said, we often only hear about courage when someone does some extreme act that makes the news, right? Something like rescuing someone from a sinking car or, or saving a, a dog from a water overflow or climbing into a building with, with no harness or standing up to Donald Trump when he tries to pass crazy laws, right? That one's my favorite. But, but we often only hear about courage when they're these amazing things. I don't know about you, but I love these stories, but, but like Jen said, we don't really have to worry about them happening to us, right? No one, and, and no, you know, no offense intended towards your understanding of, of U.S. kind of constitutional law, but no one's going to come up to you and say, do you think that this Donald Trump travel ban should be enforced or not, right? No one's going to ask you to make a stand in the U.S. public unless, no, right? I think we're safe. No one's going to ask you to do that. Chances are you're not going to be walking down the street and see a house on fire and need to climb in to save someone from it. 
Right? I, I pray that if we have those situations, we have the courage to do so. But, but if we're only thinking about those acts as courageous acts, we'll probably never get a chance in our life to be courageous. Right? And, and so when I mentioned the apostles, right, who, who left everything to follow Jesus, maybe that didn't feel impossible to you. Maybe you, you heard this idea and you, and you could see yourself moving to some far off land if God told you to. But at the same time, maybe if you're honest with yourself, you kind of struggle to wake up every morning and to open your Bible and have a quiet time. That this idea of doing this big, larger than life, amazing, heroic act seems totally doable. And yet we don't seem able to do the small thing. And yet the small thing that we ask ourselves to do seems harder than the idea of this massive thing. See, Jen touched on this in her testimony when she said, courage is how you act when no one is looking, right? How you respond to fear. Last week, Em and I were on holiday. You might have missed us last week. You probably did. You probably looked around and said something. It's just, it's really hard, really hard, right? There was a prayer for healing after the service. But Em and I uh, were in Taupo with my mom and dad. Um, and, and one of the things that we did in Taupo, besides from going fishing and water skiing and, and swimming every day, because it was like over 25 degrees. And, oh, sorry, <laughs> jealous. <laughs> right? One of, the, one of the things that we did is we went on this thing called the, the Rotorua Canopy Tour. And what this is, is it's, it's in a, um, a, a bit of established Tawa forest. This forest is, uh, predates Europeans coming to New Zealand. It's one of the oldest bits of forest in the North Island. And, and so we went to this forest, and what they do is they get you to go up into the canopy, which is the top, for those of you who are not versed in forests. Um, but you go up into the top of the forest, and you zip line from platform to platform. Right, so, so, so to paint a picture for you, you know, you start off and you're about three stories up and you zip line 50 meters. And then you're about four stories up and you zip line 100 meters. And the highest one, you're seven stories up this, this super old Rimu tree. It's like 400, 500 years old. You're super high up this, this Rimu tree and you, you have to step backwards off just a gap right, into nothingness, and then you fall backwards for 250 meters, right? They reckon you get up to 60 kilometers per hour, just you falling, right? And so, so you fall backwards. It's so far that when you step off, you can't see where you're going to land. There's just a wire going out into the forest, and you're like, I hope this is attached to something that's safe to land on, or else I'm in really big trouble, right? And obviously, everyone here knows me and knows that I am an exemplary example of courage, and so when it came to my chance, I said, oh, yeah, no trouble, no trouble, boss. And the guy was like, do you need a hand? I was like, no, I'm fine. And I did a backflip, and it was fantastic, right? I, I did do it, but I didn't do a backflip. But here's the thing. If I'm being honest with you, part of the reason that I stepped off the, the ledge was because there was lots of other people on the platform waiting. Right? If I went back and I was still, you know, fully clipped in and it was still fully safe and, and I was up there by myself and there happened to be a very nice safe ladder down to the ground and all of a sudden no one else was there pressuring me and there was an option just to climb down the ladder and pretend that, yeah, no, I did that. That was fine. That was awesome. Yeah. Wow. That, it's so fast. Crazy. Maybe I, maybe I wouldn't have. See, here's the thing. So often in life, the decisions that we make, it's, it's easier to be courageous in front of others because it can feel heroic. 
And, and a courageous act is still a courageous act on and, and off the platform. It's still courageous when we do it in front of others, but we need to be able to be courageous when people are looking and courageous when no one can see it. We need to be able to be courageous in that massive act and courageous when we're at home and it's just you and me and no one will know. See, often the big acts of courage seem easier than the small because most of the time all we do is think about them. Oh, yeah, now one day I'll quit my job. You know, no, one day I'm going to give that an amazing amount to charity. One day I'm going to ask that girl out. One day I'm going to ask that girl to marry me. Justin can relate. It's hard to ask, right? You're like, oh, I'm pretty sure she'll say yes, but like, woo. Like, I'm not 100%. I wouldn't marry me, so what's going to happen? Right, these, these acts that most of the time, the, the big acts, all we do is think about them. But like Jen said, real courage is putting one foot in front of the other towards and through fear. I think a great example of, of, of this, uh, this balance of big action and small steps is, is what Wakash and Harriet are doing. Right, this year, both Wakash and Harriet have chosen to, to shift up to Auckland, right, a, a foreign city, to not go to university, but to go to Bible college, right? They've chosen to take a year out to go to Bible college when all of their friends are getting jobs and, and continuing study. They're doing something that technically on their CV might not look amazing, right? People will be like, oh, that's cool that you did that, but I'm not necessarily going to hire you because of it. They're going to, to step out to do this amazing thing, to equip themselves in the creative arts, to, to learn, to understand God more, to develop a deeper relationship with Him. And the amazing thing about it that I think we need to recognize is, is this is a decision that they're not just doing for them, right? The progress that they're going to make, the things that they're going to learn will bless us as a church, will bless churches around New Zealand, but here's the thing, if Wakash and Harriet just decided, oh man, we're going to make this amazing heroic decision, right? We're going to ch choose this crazy, scary thing, and they chose it, right? And, and then next week, they move up to Auckland, and they kind of they start unpacking, and they're like, right, so I've made this crazy, heroic, courageous decision. Everything else should be fine now, right? Because I, I did the big, hard decision, so now it should be all smooth sailing, right? Now it should be easy street. God's going to be like, hey, you made the big hard decision. So the rest of your year is going to be easy, right? You're not going to have any assignments that this time frames all of a sudden seem really small. You're not going to have any commitments that seem to just be like, oh, which one will I choose? You're not going to have any relational issues. You're not going to be strapped for cash. Your, your health will never come, you know, and, and, and start to fail you. Nothing's ever going to go wrong, which we believe that for them. But at the same time, if they approach the year like, now everything's going to be easy, who knows that they'll be in for a rude awakening. That somewhere along the way, they've made a big step. They've done a big act of courage, but they need to follow that big action up with a whole lot of small steps. A whole lot of small steps that say, no, we'll keep on moving forward. How often in our life do we limit our definition of courage to just the big choices? Right. It's, it's heroic to step forward in an altar call, but it's courageous to live out that decision you made every day. Right. Here's a question that um, I asked myself during the week and then immediately wished I had never asked myself. I was like, Jono, why did you do that? That's a horrible question to ask yourself. I feel very uncomfortable. So since I had to do that during the week, I'm going to share it with you, right? Because sharing is caring. Here's the question. How long after we have last done something courageous can we call ourselves a courageous person? And if you can no longer call yourself a courageous person, are you a person of fear? If we only consider the big acts to be courageous, 
If we ignore the small things that God's calling us to do, to buy that person a coffee, to invite that person to church, to not skip that that bit on the assignment, to not cut that piece of work short, to not put in the bare minimum, to not fill out that tax return just a little bit differently than we know we should. If we only do the big things, like, oh God, but I chose to follow you, so I'm courageous. Then when did we stop being courageous and start living in fear, but calling ourselves courageous? See, here's the thing. When, when I think of courage in the Bible, one of the first people I think of is David, right? David, a young boy, 13 or 14, killing a giant warrior, right? If nothing else is courageous, surely that is. This boy who is the definition, right? We've now coined the term David and Goliath to describe when it's like a little person versus a big person, right? This imbalance of power is how we describe this situation is with their names, Right, so here David is, and he does this amazing, courageous thing. In fact, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, King Saul says to David, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. And David replies with this, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, wow. Right, like David, you are amazing, right? That is an accomplished 13-year-old. When I was 13, I just learned to tie my shoes properly. I am not joking. I had Velcro shoes when I was 12, right? I came to this school and I was like, no one else has got Velcro shoes and we have to learn how to tie my shoelaces. And that was like two months of my life. Every day after school, mom would be like, what are you doing, Jonathan? I'm tying my shoes, right? And then when I was 16, I learned how to tell analog time. Because some people are special, Right, and because I was starting to have exams and they didn't let you take digital clocks and there was a clock up there and I was like, how am I going to tell the time if I don't know how to tell the time? <sighs> Some people just don't make allowances for special people, right? But here David is, he's 13 and, and, and we read this and, and he's killing lions and bears and I can't tie my shoelaces. But, but let's stop and think about this for a moment, right? Do we really think that, that one day David's out in the fields, right? He's with his sheep, he's hanging out. And a lion trots up, right? And the lion takes a sheep and trots away. And David's like, huh, and jogs after him, right? He's a lion, lion, excuse me, you seem to have taken one of my sheep by accident. Right, before this, all, all David ever used to do was just lie in the grass and, and stare at the clouds, right? He only knew what a lion was because he saw a cloud and he thought, that looks like a lion. And he thought, I don't know what a lion looks like. Oh, that's a lion there, it's stealing one of my sheep. I'll go after the lion. Right, here's the thing, we can think about this situation and think that, that this courage for David just seemed to come out of nowhere, right? That, that David was like, oh, wow, look at this, I'm a courageous person, I guess I'll just kill this lion, I'll just kill this bear, because that's what I'll do. Maybe instead what happened is, is maybe he started, he was 12 and he was out in the field and he realized he was too far out to get home for the night. And he realized that he couldn't take the sheep back home in the middle of the dark because he'd lose some. And, and, and his stomach dropped as he realized, I'm going to have to spend the night out in the field. Dad can't come for me. My brothers aren't coming for me. They don't know where I am. It's just me in this field on my own. And maybe he made a decision, a small decision. I'm just going to sleep out in the field. 
Then, then maybe a, a little while later, he was out in the field and, and he was looking after the sheep and he heard a noise and he saw that there was a thief kind of creeping around the, the flock. And again, his stomach dropped and he thought, oh man, that guy is bigger than me and older than me and, and what, what can I do? And then he thought, oh, I'll, just, I'll just light this lamp and make a big noise and hopefully it'll scare the thief away. And so he lights his lamp and he holds it up and he makes a big noise and the, and the thief runs away. Maybe a little bit later, he's there and he's gardening his, his flock and, and a dog comes and starts to hassle the, the sheep. And he thinks, oh man, my brother got bit by a dog the other month. This dog is scary. But, but I stayed out all night in the field on my own, and I scared away that thief, and, and so surely I can scare away this dog, and he chased away the dog, and, and then maybe it was a wolf, and he thought, oh man, this wolf was scary, but what is a wolf if not just a bigger dog, and it was all right in the field, and it was all right with the thief, and it was all right with the dog, so it'll be all right, the wolf, and then when the bear came, he didn't just all of a sudden find courage, but he looked at this bear and thought, I, I, I slept in the field, I've chased away the thief, I've chased away the dog, I've chased away the wolf, surely I can chase away this bear because God has been with me in all this time. See, maybe David's courage didn't come out of nowhere. Maybe David built his courage day by day in his faithfulness. See, courage isn't just the big. It's the small too. And if we only think of courage as the massive acts, then we will go a long time since we were last courageous and we will live a roller coaster life of bravado and cowardice. See, it's important to realize that the big acts are courageous, but that every fear that is faced and overcomes becomes a building block. No matter how big or small, you grow in courage as you face your fears, and we need to see courage in the everyday to build our courage up so that when we need it, it is ready, so that we can make the big decisions courageously on our own or in front of others so that we're not surprised with who we have to become, but we can look back on the decisions. And maybe we would have made the decisions anyway, but if we can look back on them as our testimony, as our proof to ourselves of the person that God is making us into, we can stand in who we are rather than being convinced we're someone else. See, surely the worst thing would be to not realize that you are courageous, and when something big happens, you are convinced by the lie that you are fearful, and so you act in a way according to that lie, when you are courageous. Because I know you're courageous, because God has put a spirit of power in you. He's not put a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And so if that spirit is within you, then every situation we should be in, we should be able to respond to courageously unless we're convinced otherwise. So what story are you telling yourself about yourself? When can you see the moments that you've been courageous and count the small steps so that when a big moment comes, you can look back on who God has built you into and say, I can do this too. See, my first point is, is it's heroic, yes, but it's not just the heroism. Courage is the big and the small. We notice the big, don't miss the small. My second point is to understand courage, we need to not only understand heroism, what it looks like to have courage in the big and, and often more importantly in the small, we need to understand fear. If you're taking notes, my second point is fear. The first time fear is recorded in the Bible is in Genesis. Right there, Adam and Eve are, they're living in Edom, they're, they're living a, a fearless existence, and, and then they eat from the one tree that they're not meant to. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, 
just after they've, they've committed this first sin, Eden from this, the fruit from this tree, they weren't meant to. It says this, when they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden, hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? And the man replied, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. See, here's the thing. It's, it's strange that Adam was afraid. It's strange that he hides because he was fr- afraid and that he was afraid because he was naked. It would make sense for, say, for, for me to be afraid today if I was naked in front of you, right? It would also make sense for some of you to be afraid today if I was naked in front of you. That is, that is fear that makes an, an total sense, right? Some fear is there to protect us, right? Like fear of touching the hot stove, fear of seeing Jono naked, right? Similarly burning experiences, some of you would just be like, that's it. What's the point in ever trying to accomplish a, a body like that? It's just. Uh... But, but here's the thing, right? Adam was, was actually naked the day before that, and he wasn't afraid. Eve was naked the day before that, and, and she wasn't afraid. They were with God the day before that, and they were not afraid. So when he says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid, we need to realize that nothing has actually technically changed. They are just as naked and just as with God as they were the day before. The garden was the same. God didn't change. The only difference was they saw themselves differently because they had separated themselves from God. See, here's the thing. Fear drives you from God. Adam is saying, God, for the first time, I see myself and I am running for my life. God, I see you and I realize who and what I am in comparison and I feel naked and ashamed and I am afraid. Adam is saying, I am naked and I realize it and so I am afraid. But, but he wasn't afraid because he was naked. He was always naked. It was not his nakedness that was the source of his fear. It was his inadequacy. See, it was that first moment when he realized something was wrong, that something was missing. We live in fear not because of what is out there, but because of what is in here. Have you ever been afraid of something and then it didn't happen? Right? Have you ever had that moment where your boss calls you to their office and you don't know why? Right? Or maybe you're at school and the principal calls you to their office and, and you don't know why. And you show up and, and your, your knees are kind of knocking and, and your palms are getting a little bit sweaty. And you sit down and your heart's racing. And you're like, I don't know what I've done, but they must know something. And I'm not sure that I know it, which makes it worse because I haven't come up with a convincing lie to tell them that it's all fine. Right? And you sit down and you're nervous. And then all of a sudden, the only thing they want to do is just ask you some mundane question. Like your boss wants to know, hey, I heard a couple of weeks ago you mentioned a Mexican restaurant. What was that Mexican restaurant? I really feel like Mexican tonight. And you're like, oh, man, I thought that I'd done something horrible. Or have you ever been in the, the opposite situation, right? Have you ever been in a situation where you should have been afraid and you just weren't? Right, like maybe you applied for a job and you were really just applying for a lot of jobs and then this one job that you definitely didn't want invited you in for an interview and you kind of go in and you're like, I don't really want this, but you know, because a job is better than no job. It's always better to job seek from a job. Um, and, and so you go in and you sit down and, and, and you start talking to them and halfway through the interview, they kind of stop you and they're like, look, this is a bit awkward, but probably not the right job for you. And you're like, wow. You know, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, wow, this is... This is really the waste of our time because this is not the right job for me. This is bad, right? And they're like, okay, so we won't pursue this. Like, no, don't. That would be bad. That would be very bad. Lots of pain for everyone involved. And you get up, you walk out whistling, right? Because there you are, you're being interviewed for a job that you don't really want. And so because your heart's not invested, the fear's not really there. See, see here's the thing. We love those moments. 
right? That those moments when we're not fearful, to the point that I think sometimes we try and eliminate fear altogether. We try and pretend that a life of certainty, of safety is a life of courage, is a life of fearlessness. But, but fear moves us beyond what we know, beyond what we can control, to a space where we feel an impending danger and distinct possibility of failure. And our decision has to be, will we let the fear limit us or will we lean into that fear? See, if Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid, I think there is an inherent fear in all of us that says, I'm not good enough, right? I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. And we can be so afraid that life will prove that to us, that if we fail, that all of the negative things sitting in the corners of our mind will come rushing in. Right? See, see, fear is a usurper that comes and tries to play God inside of us. Timothy Keller says that the Bible tells us that our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. How many decisions have you made from fear? Right, that the choices you didn't make because you were afraid, the choices you did make because you were afraid, the opportunities lost, the the moments left because fear paralyzes us. Is it possible this morning that in some areas or maybe all of the areas of your life that you are building your identity not in Jesus, but in what you fear? That you are defining yourself by your perceived lack. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right, and, and we find this hard because we know fear. And, and fear isn't our friend. Fear paralyzes us. Fear makes us less. Fear is responsible for so many bad decisions and, and missed opportunities. So fearing the Lord, it doesn't feel like a good thing. But see, the scriptures here are teaching us about fear and its relationship to us. It's saying that we should fear God and we should fear only God. Because when we fear something else, that thing becomes our master. Whatever we fear establishes the boundaries of our freedom. But fearing God is a fear that frees us. It's a fear that says, I'm not afraid of this situation. I'm not afraid of this person. I'm not afraid of this thing coming at me because the space for my fear in my heart is occupied by a reverential awe and love for God. See, a life filled with fear of anything but God is a very small life. Is your identity in what you fear? Because when we don't fear God, we allow other fears in. There is a vacuum, a hole, a space, and it is filled. See, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the absence of self. Courage is what it looks like when God is placed in the right place, when, when we remember that He is bigger, that, that He has it under control. Just as I get the rest of the band up. You know, before I quoted 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has, given us a, has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. See, we, we need to be courageous, not just in the big, but in the small, so that we can approach the big so that we can build ourselves into a people of courage, people whose courage doesn't leave them, who can make a declaration in front of others and honor that decision in private. But we can't sit still and expect courage to come and find us. Courage is something that must be pursued. And let's not look back and wonder what we could or would or should have done had we had an extra 
dose of courage. Let's not let the highest value in our lives be something like playing it safe. See, here's the thing. God has plans for you. God has a future and a hope and a life of adventure and usefulness with your name on it. But you'll never live that life if we're always lacking the courage He wants to provide. See, this morning, what is a decision that you know you need to make, a small decision to continue to build yourself into a courageous person? And don't despair of the mistakes. Don't despair of the moments where, where you, you could have acted courageously, but you know you acted cowardly. If you acted cowardly once, you were not a coward. You acted cowardly. So next time, be courageous. Put more ticks in that column. Like, like Jen said, others can help us to be brave. Who do you have around you to help you to be courageous? Who are your role models? Are you, are you in an e-group that can motivate you and champion you? And, and finally, that space inside you that fear can often sit in, what's there? Has God's perfect love cast out all fear? Not that you don't feel frightened, not that you don't get nervous or afraid at times, but that you don't have a spirit of fear, that you are not innately a fearful person, but your automatic response has become, yes, I can because God is with me. See, today we're going to finish the service with the band leading us in this new song, right? It's called Not Afraid. And in the chorus, it says, hallelujah, your love has come rushing, my heart overflows. Because here's the thing, the solution to fear is one of space. If we fill our hearts to overflowing with God's love, fear can't fill it. And then as, as it says in the bridge, in trials and troubles, we will know that God's love will go on. And we'll see that in Him, even our weakness is strong. See, this is how we be courageous people. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how bold you feel or how afraid you feel. I don't, I don't know if, if you've been courageous enough to look at yourself and realize that you need more courage, that, that you need to change yourself in the season on, on character and virtue and being, being focused on who we are when no one is looking. But just as you stand to your feet now, as the band leads us in this song, I just want to do two things. The first thing is you can just sing this song. You can just make these lyrics your prayer. And that's fine. That, that's awesome. We all need, I know I need to pray these lyrics every day. That I won't be afraid anymore. That God's love will come rushing in. That my heart will overflow with His love. But at the same time, if you know that somewhere in you, there's something that needs to break. That you've been behaving fearfully and, and, and maybe you've developed a, a, a habit of behaving as someone you know that you're not behaving in a fearful manner, being less when you should be more, going for the, the easy option when you should do the hard one, being comfortable rather than courageous. If for whatever reason, even if it's just to be encouraged, you want prayer this morning. I'm gonna encourage you, be courageous. Step forward. Make a decision and an act bodily this morning that says, actually, I'm a person of courage and let me show myself. The person of fear that, that the devil is trying to tell me that I am would stay sitting in this seat. And so I'm not going to behave in that way. 
I'm not going to stay sitting in the seat because I am not a person of fear, because I am a person of courage, because that's what God says about me. He says that He has not given me a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. So I will discipline myself and I will step forward in power, embracing the love of God. So I'm not going to say anymore. I don't think you need convincing. In fact, I think you need not convincing because it needs to be your decision. But the band's going to lead us. And if you want to be prayed for, there's room for everyone. Let's do some business with God.